time. And so I'd like to welcome everyone to the conference call. This is part of a series run by the folks at Community Matters, which is an initiative inspired by the Orton Family Foundation. And this call is about local finance, and it's part of a series that we're doing on local economies. My name's Bonnie, and I'm moderating the call today. And today we are joined by Susan Witt, the co-founder of Berkshires and the education director for the New Economics Institute, and Trexler Profit, developer of Lanex, which is a sustainable exchange, and he's also the assistant professor of organization and Marshall College. I'll just run through the agenda quickly, um, starting with call protocols. Uh, we do ask that everyone put themselves on mute when they join the call. Uh, we have a Google document open and available to anyone that would like to participate, and we use that to take collaborative notes. So anyone that's on the call, feel free to jump onto that document and take notes as the speakers are talking. And we also use that to um, to moderate any questions. So if you have a look in that document, there's a section where you can write your questions in. We ask that you put your name at the end of your question so that I can reach out and ask you to take yourself off mute and join in the conversation. So we're going to do a quick introduction from each of the speakers. And then we'll open up for questions in about half an hour. Uh, and then we finish up the call with some key actions that people can take. So I would like to hand over to Susan to do an introduction um, and, uh, and tell us about the work that she's been involved with. So Susan, why don't you take it away? Thanks so much, Bonnie. I've been for the past 30 years. Um, the executive director of the E.F. Schumacher Society that's recently transitioned to become the New Economics Institute. Schumacher wrote the book Small is Beautiful, and in it he argued that the most sustainable economy is one in which the goods consumed in a region are produced in a region. What we set out about doing it with the Schumacher Society is try to create the citizen-based initiatives that would support that kind of economy. So instead of a conflict between producers and consumers, one trying to get the highest, one the cheapest, um, Price. And instead, we looked at how citizen consumers could actually cooperate with shaping and supporting local producers. Out of that effort came the community-supported agriculture movement. Um, the first farm in this country was the Indian line farm just a mile from our offices, the Robinson and and also the whole development of the community land trust movement funded by Bob Swan, our first president. And that is an effort where citizens working through a community land trust can create affordable access to land for particular activities. So, um, piece of land could actually be bought and then leased for, say, a cannery, a community-based cannery, leases an elegant tool. But what about access to capital? Uh, another important um, uh, resource that is needed by local producers are share microcredit programs linked investors with particular projects through pooling savings accounts and then using those accounts to collateralize loans that the bank normally wouldn't work. But there you're paying still for the cost of the money. Local currencies, Jane Jacobs would say, are an elegant and appropriate tool for encouraging strong regional economies. 
They're an, a tool that were used in the late 1800s, early 1900s in this country, where every bank, every commercial bank issued its own currency. And that meant that every region had available to it the amount of capital backed by local knowledge. Hello? That, that understood um, resources in the region, both human and natural, that could um, uh, turn into local projects. But we gave that up with good reason for um, a federal reserve note in the 1913s that accumulation and centralization allowed for larger amounts of capital to support industry. But what we lost with it was this local tool. So local currencies are something that are legal and can again be employed by citizens to support their local economies. But how do we get started? In the Berkshires, we started with our banks. We still have locally owned banks. And so we went to five of our locally owned banks, and Berkshires Inc., the nonprofit place-based organization that's the issuer of the currency, opened accounts, opened checking accounts at 13 branches of five local banks. The next process was to actually design the currency using um, uh, local heroes from our region, cultural heroes, economic heroes, social heroes, uh, W.B. Du Bois was born in Great Barrington. He is on our currency. Robin Ben and uh, Mohegan Indians, our first people. Herman Melville, who started, uh, or who wrote Moby Dick, a great ecological and esoteric novel here. And um, Norman Rockwell. So, we printed the currency, distributed it to the bank, signed up merchants. Citizens go into one of the branches of the local bank, put down 95 federal, and are given 100 Berkshires. Those Berkshires circulate at full value until a merchant feels they still need federal dollars for some of their activities. So if a merchant fails to be able to recirculate the Berkshires, they take them back to the bank, and that 100 Berkshires um, is then a withdrawal of 95 federal from one of the Berkshire accounts. Is that yet truly a local currency? No. It's getting our local community used to dealing with Berkshires. Three million Berkshires have gone out in this region of 19,000 people since launch in 2006. They've circulated multiple times, go back to the banks. A net amount of about 120,000 remain in any one time. Our next step is to begin a loan program um, where we're actually issuing the currency at the point of making a loan, supporting import replacement businesses. Berkshires, a reminder, if you have them in your pocket, the reminder to bring your shopping off the Internet back to Main Street, back to the face-to-face relationships of Main Street. It's an experiment in progress. Glad to talk with you more about it during questions. This is actually pretty interesting, but it's quite a Fantastic. voice. Fantastic. Thank you, Susan. That's, uh, that's really wonderful. Um, great overview, and um, I think we'll spark a lot of questions when we get to the, uh, 
to the questions. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Trex now. Um, Trex, if you want to give us a, an introduction and a little overview of what you're doing. And I'll just remind everyone, um, please feel free to add questions into the, uh, into the Google Doc. And if you're not currently speaking, please put yourself on mute so that we can be sure to hear people that are speaking. Take it away, Trex. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be with you all today. And thank you, Susan, for that great overview. Um, I think what we're doing in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, is really very synergistic with the idea of uh, getting a community used to uh, supporting itself. And uh, in our project, the LANX project, we're trying to band together regionally as well, uh, an 8- to 10-county uh, region in uh, south-central Pennsylvania to facilitate the process of community investment. And I think there are several features of the project that are worth mentioning at the outset. One is we're not operating now. Uh, this is a prospective project in development. And I think we're very close, but, um, uh, you know, it's important to say that, you know, with investments, you trigger a whole new set of regulatory concerns um, formed during the Depression and in response to the idea that uh, people can be ripped off and fraud does occur. So we want to do this in a high-integrity and very gradual way uh, that forms a very solid pilot test of the concept that communities can invest in themselves successfully, um, hopefully with at least uh, acceptable uh, risk-adjusted returns and with costs that are not as excessive as you might um, imagine they would be uh, given what comes out of Wall Street and, and looking at the very large national and multinational firm markets. So our thought is, can we go back to basics, um, again, uh, as with the local currency initiatives, to a time when um, people did work together on the basis of trust and social ties? And can we do that in a way that helps um, invest uh, in promising local businesses that will give a return? So that instead of investing in Mongolia, which is a, the currently uh, you know, hot stock market uh, out there in the world, uh, people can invest their money with their neighbors, uh, with their community, and put people locally to work. So um, our thought was, um, let's begin work on this system and put it through several different stages. Um, the end point where we all want to get is a situation where uh, someone with a reasonable, modest amount of money to invest uh, can invest relatively seamlessly and easily online using a trading platform in uh, uh, any business that wishes to solicit that kind of investment in the community. And so we want to encourage this idea uh, by going through a series of stages of implementation that will get us to that endpoint. And so right now what we have um, essentially uh, cooking uh, in, the, in the kitchen is an offering platform that will help tell people about what's going on with their local businesses. Um, I came to this as a business professor teaching competitive strategy and trying to um, figure out how it was that Starbucks was beating our local coffee shops. And the answer in the end for almost every one of these types of strategic comparisons is that um, larger firms have access to capital and they have access to capital in many ways, giving them choices and options and Starbucks was always putting down three to five stores for every local store that we had. So um, I love Starbucks, uh, great drinks, great service, but I also enjoy going to my neighborhood coffee shop as well. And um, I don't want it to go out of business either, but from a competitive strategy point of view, they don't have access to the same sorts of capital markets that a large national or multinational would have. Our, our thought was then to try to fix this um, by giving the local patrons who already go to that store um, a chance to invest in it and give them access to another source of funds so that they can thrive and do the expansion that they would like to do. If the local store has access to more sources of capital, they'll have more choices in terms of their expansion plans. And it's really that simple. Um, so there's certainly a lot of logistics and uh, very clear and important regulatory concerns. Um, but our hope is that by persisting with this, we'll set forth a pilot for the country that could be replicated in 30 to 50 other areas. And uh, just to, to frame it, you know, in conclusion, in our area, we needed a, a critical mass that was big enough to support the kinds of investments that we think local businesses would want and where their needs are not being served. So we're targeting the $500,000 to $5 million uh, placement range, and we're targeting 
at the moment, only accredited and institutional investors as likely initial participants in this type of system. Um, and when we look around in our local community, we see plenty of our local businesses. Only a few of them will actually want to participate um, in this kind of broader solicitation at first. Our hope is that, of course, we create a culture of local investing uh, that not only helps the existing businesses but attracts new business to our area. Um, and our area, as we've defined it, is about four Class three cities, um, Reading, York, Lancaster, and Harrisburg, and it's about 2.5 million people. So that actually replicates really nicely across the country um, to a lot of metro areas and um, you know, multi-city, small-city regions. Um, so I'll stop there because that's plenty to work with, and um, we can always come back to those issues. Thank you for listening and having us on this uh, program. Awesome. Thank you, Trex. Um, so I think that gives us a really great grounding for a conversation, um, both uh, a really broad overview from Susan and then the specifics of Trex's project. Um, there's a couple of questions in the document now, and I'll invite everyone that's on the call to please um, share any thoughts, comments, or questions that you have in the Google Doc right now. Um, I'm going to start with a, a question that's come in um, that, that I think is a really great place to start the conversation. So to, to get a local currency or, or a local investment scheme going, it seems like there are a lot of things that need to align. Um, how can people get started? Well, it's not one person who can get it started. It has to be a community initiative to get started. So Berkshire's involved the banks, the merchants, citizen groups, and uh, it, Bob Swan, who founded uh, the Schumacher Society and who was such an advocate of, of local currencies as an economic development tool. Um, I posted links to two of his essays on local currencies. But he would say that the issuing of currency should not be a for-profit initiative. It should be um, a socially-based institution so a nonprofit institution with open membership, democratically structured, accountable back to the local community. He saw these, if we're creating a new economics, if we're creating new economics institutions, then um, we need to actually think of the very structure of the issuing organization is the very structure of the organization that's holding land, for instance. So he called for nonprofit open membership, um, place-based organizations that would be the issuer, and Berkshire's is that. It was very important how we pulled together the board of directors. It came from accountants, from lawyers, from Rotary Club members, from bankers, from um, small business owners, from gardeners, from artists. It was people, a diverse range of people known in the local community already with a reputation so that when they went to fellow merchants or fellow bankers and said, join me in this, um, there, there was that credibility built in. So it's clearly a, a very strong community-building effort. Um, Trex, have you had a similar experience with that? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's fine for one person like myself to preach and evangelize about the, uh, you know, possible advantages associated with allowing communities to invest in themselves. But um, in order to actually implement our pilot, what we've found is absolutely critical is identifying those business owners who will go on record in support of the concept and who will express extremely preliminary and highly conditional commitments to um, you know, carefully considering using the system when it's up and running. 
I think as with local currency, it's really important to know um, the, the people involved and um, to, to feel like they are very good representatives of the kind of, of ideal um, you know, circulation of, of uh, capital that you'd like to see. On the flip side, in our case, um, we've also uh, had to reach out quite a bit to the investor base. And what I've found is that all investors want uh, choices, and they're being presented with choices all the time um, in a certain you know, constrained and, and official way. Um, what, what's novel here is we, um, we want to be in a position to present investors with a choice that allows them to do something that they haven't really easily been able to do before. And um, anytime you're dealing with new stuff, it's a lot better if everyone knows each other and um, you know, has that atmosphere of trust. So attorneys, accountants, uh, professional services folks of all types, these are important to have um, on the early team because they're your best critics and also your best supporters. Um, we need to have those folks telling us uh, which areas are problematic um, as well as those who are cheerleading and saying, please go and please go faster. Uh, so it's been great to involve, um, you know, all of our team in that mobilization. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Elaine, you had a question that you've written down here. Do you want to take yourself off mute and uh, talk about your question about involving community foundations? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm involved with a regional community foundation here, and I was wondering, and, and it seems like community foundations are kind of broadening out uh, their mission to do some different things in the local communities. Um, and I was wondering if either of your uh, plans or if you knew of any others that um, engaged um, a, a local or regional community foundation um, to participate or to provide some of the um, some of the upfront uh, money uh, for investment, um, or in any in any other ways, uh, if if, uh, if you could just comment on that, and uh, if there are some examples, I'd love to to know what the foundations are so we can explore them a little bit. Uh, the Berkshire Teutonic Community Foundation that covers the region where Berkshire's is located, it has had some individuals who. Um, through the foundation have made grants to Berkshire and we have asked Edition to actually make the grant in Berkshire and um, for several years they stumbled about doing that but um, just this last couple of months we got our first grant from the foundation actually made in Berkshire. And uh, what that required was uh, the foundation to um, understand how to do their own accounting in Berkshire. Uh, Berkshire's are just another cash uh, vehicle. So they essentially open a separate cash account in their um, QuickBooks accounting system. Um, they take a, a check, uh, go to a local bank. Um, the check's made out for 950 federal. They collect a thousand for it's in their accounting as um, a, a credit to their Berkshire's discount. I'm getting credit and not taking the discount. And then they made us the grant of a thousand dollars, rather a thousand Berkshire's. But then, then we had to go to the foundation to send cash in the mail. And it meant we had to sign the paperwork because the check wasn't there as a receipt. But when Nick went down to the foundation, that was a conversation, conversation between my coworker Nick and Berkshire Tonic, um, foundation staff members about the program, how it works. So it meant that the community foundation itself was more engaged. So 
Um, Elaine, to answer your question, yes. Um, uh, local currency groups do need startup support for the printing, for the website, for the staffing, for um, the media material. And the foundation can help by saying, um, by actually encouraging it, by saying we have a pool of money for innovation in um, local financing, one of those options being a local currency. But then they can also support the program itself by making a, a, their grants or a portion of their grants in a local currency. And what does that mean? That means the nonprofit they're making the donation to is encouraged to find a local printer, a local office supply store, a local venue for their events. And it, it um, just builds that ethic in. I know that um, there are actually some communities where um, the selection of the small towns have said that they will um, encourage the their staff to buy from local retailers if those local retailers are available. And that kind of encouragement is tremendous. Um, so the Board of Selectmen saying, we're not asking you as a staff to find the cheapest pen and papers. We're asking you to find and support the local stationery store because we know that in building those local businesses, we build our community, we build our tax base, um, and foundations can play that same role. I'd like to just add in um, on top of that, uh, after um, you know much consideration of who our um, ideal investors would be, we thought community foundations would be absolutely the best folks to engage in uh, not just currency initiatives, but also investing initiatives. And, um, you know, they're sitting on tens of millions of dollars each, in, in our case, um, and they're wondering how to get their investments to perform a dual role. One, uh, certainly a financial return of some kind, uh, but then the second is a social benefit that's consistent with their long-term perspective on improving the the region. And I think the local currency does a great job of channeling that. Uh, in our case, we've struggled a little bit to categorize ourselves properly for local community foundations. I feel like we don't fit an easy grant recipient category. Um, for example, uh, my local community foundation gives grants to organizations that have been in operation for several years and have 501c3 status. Well, for a number of reasons, the investing world isn't populated by a lot of uh, 501c3 nonprofits. And so, um, you know, we actually don't fit a charitable category for grant uh, receipts. But on the other hand, we make a very good community investment uh, as an exchange uh, concept, what we would um, seek to do is, you know, operate as a social purpose business, um, putting the needs of the community ahead of um, any investment return. But which investors would be ready to invest in such a, an endeavor? Uh, who better than community foundations? Um, one of the drawbacks is that our community foundations um, are not familiar with um, investing their endowments in local projects. Uh, so while they would be very happy to give a grant to a local nonprofit, and that fits their program, uh, they're not used to the idea of making investments from their endowment into the local area. And that's an, ob an obstacle that we've struggled with, I think. Um, and, and we've been told that this is a shift in the foundation world, that impact um, and local investing is happening, but it's happening primarily for the larger uh, you know, more robustly staffed uh, foundations like MacArthur or Rockefeller who can easily, uh, you know, devote a small team to making um, local investments happen. Uh, so in our case, anyway, uh, it's incredibly promising. What we've thought to do is band together 
all of the community foundations in our catchment area, which is, as I mentioned, about eight to ten counties. Um, so that's at least four or five pretty large community foundations. And to just request that they um, chip in, you know, 1% of their investment portfolio designated towards local investing and make the first investment in our um, exchange concept so that we could get it up and running and that our area could have, you know, possibly one of the first of these types of um, local investing uh, platforms. Um, so, so far, the, the, the impediment isn't a lack of will. It's more an unfamiliarity on the part of the community foundations uh, with using their endowments in this high social impact uh, you know, intensively local way. A lot of the endowment management um, by those most likely investors is uh, farmed out to money managers who are, say, in, in our case, in Philadelphia or beyond. Um, and so you have to kind of, uh, you know, re, um, revisit the control of the endowment and bring a portion of it back uh, into the community in order to do this. So I think it's incredibly promising, and I think a consortium of uh, community foundations is actually the best source of startup money in our area for um, for launching a local uh, investing platform. And I think in many areas it would be as well, depending on how much endowment money they have and how, how much risk they can afford. And, uh, Elaine, to come back again, uh, to example, Solidago Foundation in Northampton is not a community foundation, but it's a foundation with a lot of community values. And they've worked in the Pioneer Valley, the Emerald area, to set up a, um, a loan fund, especially around food issues. But they came to us and said, um, we're also able to lend in the Berkshire region. Do you have loans? And um, we have good contacts. Um, they have plenty of capital, but not the contacts for the invest investment opportunities. So their money's been sitting there. And we've said to them, um, we'd love to partner with you, and the trade-off would be, would you do 10% of the loan in bird shares? So in a region, if you're making a loan in, a bird, in the Berkshire region, what we'd ask is that a portion of that loan be actually made in bird shares to raise awareness about bird shares, to again, encourage the borrower to be looking for local ways to spend that um, uh, that money rather than going outside the region. So that was a, a deep and, uh, and wide-ranging answer to your question. Elaine, do, do you feel like uh, you got a lot of information out of that? Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, thank, thank you very much, and thanks for the references. Um, I think one of the things that um, we're looking at are, are in how do we position microloans to the community to uh, some of the small businesses or some of the agriculturalists. And um, and I think I think you're correct in that um, community foundations are sort of redefining themselves at this point in time and um, kind of looking at how to stretch the boundaries and. Um, and to do uh, program-related investments. And um, good, to, good to hear that there are some things going on already. Thank you very much. I'd like to have one more comment, and that is when a loan is made in a local currency, no interest need be charged because there's um, no cost to the money. There's a one-time fee for administration, but it's not as if you're taking money from an investor who's expecting an interest rate return. So um, to make a, uh, a portion of the loan in a local currency at 0% or maybe a 3% just a one-time fee for doing the paperwork can 
make that loan more affordable. Perhaps not so much in the current market, but certainly um, as a tool for the future as interest rates might again rise up. Uh, so just to to bear that in mind, local currencies are a different type of financing tool. Susan, that's a really interesting point. Um, and Troy, uh, if you're still on the line, you had a, a question there talking about the costs of the currency. Do you want to speak a little more to that and pick up on what Susan just raised? Yeah, this is Troy, and I'm still on the line. Go ahead. So that's actually my question is, is uh, I guess there's a couple of things. Uh, my main thing you're talking about right now is the local currency, and it seems to me like you're linking the local currency to the U.S. dollar. And if that's the case, in, in the scenario you just described where we have increasing interest rates, then my question is, is uh, how is that going to uh, be that much different, A, and then B is, is that uh, if there's no interest being charged on the loan, because functionally that's how money's created, is is loaning money, um, then if you're loaning money out of the pool of shares, then isn't that creating an inflationary opportunity in and of itself? This is excellent. This is the heart of the matter, sure. So you are absolutely correct. In its current stage, Berkshire's is completely tied to the rise and fall of the U.S. dollar. Completely. It's, um, we say though that we're at stage 25 of 50 and launching a local, a true independent local currency. So, um, how do you begin to legitimately untie currency, uh, local currency from the federal dollar. Well, let's look at the classic way the currency is issued. Classic way is um, to a farmer in the spring proceed. So if a community gets together and just issues credit or paper to a farmer for for seeds, say $500 worth of seeds in the spring, agreeing to accept those notes in trade just creates it. That $500, 500 value loan is going to result in 10000 worth of carrots and cabbage and turnips in the fall. So assuming it wasn't Oklahoma. Pardon? Well, assuming I mean, it wasn't Oklahoma this year. <laughs> correct, correct. But in general, I mean, if you're um, if you're making the loans or issuing the currency for truly productive purposes, not consumer loans, but right. productive, then you are creating more values circulating in the community than the issuing value of the note. And that's traditionally what's called a hard currency, a sound currency, because it keeps its buying power. Um, so, uh, and it can even absorb some loss, correct? I mean, if all the loans in the community currency are for truly new production, a, a, a region might risk, it might say, let's think about wind energy for our region and let's issue a currency for the um, production of wind energy and wonder if that doesn't work out or the technology fails. If all the other loans were sound, that that currency is still keeping its value and its its purchasing power. So that's why Jane Jacobs called 
regional currencies, elegant tools for encouraging import replacement, um, new businesses, and called for it. And that's the kind of role and understanding we've got to get back to. In the 1800s, early 1900s, when every for-profit commercial bank issued its own currency, there was at least the knowledge on Main Street about what was sound issue. There was shenanigans. There was over-issuing. There was issuing to friends and family that devalued the currency. But the failure of one local currency didn't mean the failure of the whole system, which we're vulnerable to now. Um, so I, I really think it's important to take back this regional financing tool, but it's going to mean educating the community about, again, making sound productive loans and how to issue currency on a responsible basis. Hard work. Hard would, work. Because would a, would a now, credit union yeah. be already in that business, sort of? Like a money co-op is basically what you're talking about. Well, Isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, most credit unions are organized around consumer lending, right? So, and they're re-lending savings. So, again, in the past, there were savings banks that were distinct from commercial banks. And the savings banks did your um, your house mortgage, your transportation, the um, appliances in your home. Um, and they uh, did that out of pooled savings. The commercial banks were the ones issuing for new production. And with the deregulation of the banks, all these financial instruments were kind of messed together into um, single gigantic institutions. And we don't even now clearly understand the difference between consumer loans and productive loans. It's just money and the banks have it, and we don't. We need to, you know, unravel, as it were, what money is and um, learn again to use it in, uh, creatively as a tool in our own community. Susan, it's exciting, actually. It's, it's super exciting, and I want to pick up on that, that comment with a, one of the questions that's just come in. Um, this is this is around kind of being able to evaluate um, what kind of local finance programs might be right for a community. And Haas, you had a question. If you're still on the line, um, your question early on was uh, was around. Let me see if I can find it. Um, around why have a local currency? So what are some alternatives? So I'm I'm interested if you want to talk a little about that, and maybe um, Susan and and Trex, if you can talk about how people can start to evaluate what options are right for them, uh, if it's local economy, if it's a local currency, or if it's an investment scheme like Lennox, or it might be a barter program. Do you want to riff a little on that? Um, well, first of all, my, uh, when I first asked the question, some, of, some aspects of this have been uh, fleshed out for me in the, conversation, in the comments that have been made already. Um, but... I was thinking, for example, of my understanding of the Ithaca experience and how it only worked, the local currency there only worked, so I was told, um, and as long as there was one individual working uh, day and night to make it work. And, um, and yet when you're talking about the kind of investment possibilities, I'm beginning, it's beginning to make sense. I'm a little put off by the smallest investment being 500000 because I've got people here saying, how can we invest 1000 or 5000 how can we do micro-investing in, in the local community? So, um, but in terms of, I see, I, I got 
some sense of why do you want the local currency because it works as a as a way it can work as a tool to accomplish these other goals. So I, I'm really trying to, I guess I would want to refocus my question on um, how do we make it so it's a microfinance and the neighbor a neighbor can help his neighbor in a system that everyone trusts. Yeah, if I could jump in briefly, we, um, you know, we have it as an endpoint, Haas. The, uh, this tracks again. Um, you know, the endpoint is that the community can use very small amounts um, to do investing and, and purchasing. You know, you want your $10 purchase at the store to make a difference. Um, you also want to, you know, be able to shuffle $1,000 here and there um, into the local businesses and, you know, get in and out of them to some extent. Um, based on your local knowledge. But what we've found anyway with the uh, securities regulations the way they are now, um, the, that it's very difficult to put a firm into a status where it can accept investments easily um, from a large number of investors without um, hitting that, you know, roughly what we've calculated a $500,000 threshold. And the other thing that we looked at, which I think is very important in terms of the calculus here, is that there are actually a lot of really good local institutions in many communities that take care of financing up to about that, you know, several hundred thousand dollar level. In our area, the Community First Fund, uh, which is a, a local, um, you know, development institution, um, those folks uh, do loans of, you know, a hundred or two hundred thousand. And I called them and I said, you know, literally, where do you guys top out? And they said, you know, roughly 250000 is the highest loan that we'd be comfortable with. And I said, great, well, we'll pick everything up after that. And so our thought was you want to work with the community institutions that you already have on the ground. And if, for example, small uh, banks, uh, you know, state banks, uh, local banks, uh, and other types of financing mechanisms, if they're working, uh, you want to give them all the business and then pick up wherever they leave off. And in our area, that was the $500,000 number. And I think local currency, um, as with local investing, it's, it's partly a culture-building exercise. Um, we're trying to create an identity uh, that's self-recognizing. So does that, that the labeling it a culture-building or an educational enterprise is helpful. Yeah, go on. Well, and I think, you know, Susan would agree with this, that um, you also have to work within the system as it is to some extent um, as you imagine the alternative. And once people are involved with the, um, you know, what I would call less robust uh, version, then it's a lot easier to carry the conversation to a more ideal type situation. Um, for example, what if local currency were used in investing? Uh, would, what would be the investment return characteristics once we discarded the U.S. dollar as the medium of exchange? for even investing. And I, I think, wow, I don't even know, right? Like mm -hmm. That's a whole other level of imagining that um, right now is just not realistic in, um, you know, the It's way. reassuring to know that you don't know because uh, there are questions like this I wonder about and and uh, despair finding an answer easily. <laughs> it's a great question. I'll stop talking, but it's a great question. So, um, I've also linked to a article called Local Currencies Catalyst for Sustainable Local Economies, which talks um, about the evolution that we went through to come to Berkshire's. And in that evolution, we started a microcredit program called SHARE that I mentioned before, where um, Citizens open savings accounts or CD accounts at a participating bank, and then those accounts are used to collateralize the loan. That could be started very simply. A neighborhood group, a church group, a group interested in starting new businesses for women, starting new businesses related to food because the bank actually handles the loans and um, reports interest earned, does all the paperwork at the end of the day or the end of the year. So you've essentially separated out two bank functions. Banks are excellent accounters of our exchange. They're also the risk takers 
in the community. And those are kind of two different skills. Um, the conservative accounting, keeping all the records straight, and the risk taker. In SHARE, essentially what we did was made citizens the risk takers, the pooled risk takers, and let the banks handle um, the paperwork. And oh, that's, a, that's so, a beautiful distinction. Thank you. Yeah, so look into our SHARE documents. They're all online. It's hard. It's... um easy to get going. And then, um, Haas, was it your question about barter and how it fits with a local currency, or was that someone else? That's someone else's and question. Okay. Susan, feel free to address that. We've got a few minutes left before we wrap up, so if you have some thoughts on that, I'm sure everyone would love to hear it. Yeah. Um, now, barter um, is quite beautiful. Um, but it means if I want your cordwood, I have to have the carrots that you want from me. So it's this one-to-one -one exchange. Now, there are multiple professional barter systems that you get barter points. But IRS has determined that if you are a system that keeps record of exchanges, then that system is responsible for reporting the value of the exchanges at the end of the year in 1099 form, right? And that's a lot of paperwork for a system to handle. So um, Berkshires are cash transactions. That means the individual earning Berkshires are responsible for recording the value of the income themselves and doesn't put that on for shares um, or on the local currency system. Uh, so uh, the other question that was embedded there was what about other um, community-based systems of exchange? Well, we highly encourage you to look at time banks um, I think that uh, my coworker Nick, are you on the line, Nick? Is that TimeBanksUSA.org? Um, time banks are a way of valuing people's service for each other, not their economic exchange, but their service, and it, it's very complementary to the work of a local currency. We encourage multiple systems of exchange for multiple different um, activities in the community as a whole. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you, Susan. Um, what we do towards the end of the calls now uh, is finish up with a little bit of um, next steps. So if you're interested in participating in a local currency or getting one started, um, what are some of the first steps that you can take um, and and how can you get something like this going in your community? So Susan and Trex, if you uh, could have a, a quick think and maybe give us three things each that people could either uh, refer to for good resources or additional reading or um, if they had to take a couple of steps in their community, what are the three things that people should think about doing first off to get a movement like this happening? Susan, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, Berkshires is designed to service the Berkshire region. However, what it's done is put up all of its documents, its legal documents, its organizing documents, its outreach documents, its how to do accounting documents up at Berkshires.org. And we put um, all of the background thinking about uh, currencies and community issue at NewEconomicsInstitute.org. And I'd, I'd encourage, I mean, we actually started with a study group. We um, a group of citizens got together and began reading this material and then 
strategize how best to start in our community. And each community will have a different entry point. Every local currency, every local financing system will be colored by that local place, the people of that place, the culture of the place, the history of the place, the capacity of the, of the place. And um, so uh, start with a study group. Start with the intent to form a group that's going to move from study to action and, uh, and uh, invite people to your home. Food is a good organizing tool. Chocolate cake always works. Uh, and we're available and our website's available as resources. That's great, Susan. Just... Um from our end, I think we are uh, at an earlier stage, not having operations at this time, and not and there really aren't any uh, exchanges of our type out there to model after uh, in any perfect way. But um, certainly get in touch with us. I've put the website LancasterStockExchange.org on the Google Doc. We are also putting together, and we found very fruitful, a coalition of like-minded working groups um, from around the country. So obviously, the you know. Uh, episodes and, 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 and wonderful conversations like this have occasioned uh, a lot of folks to reach out to us. And um, we are currently working with some partners in Hawaii and Toronto um, and uh, more, more recently uh, doing some outreach in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, to try to bring folks into um, an association. We call it Focus Local Finance Association for lack of anything else. Um, the the you know nonprofit 501c3 format uh, in which we might share with each other our developing experiences. So that's a second thing that you can do is just simply become a part of our network um, around mobilizing in the local community. And um, with the focus local, uh, what we found is that uh, we've been able to distribute some of the labor of building um, these local exchange concepts out. So for example, in Hawaii. Uh, uh, they have successfully convened a working group um, involving a resolution from the state legislature to consider an in-state Hawaii exchange. Um, in Toronto, um, they've really taken the lead on the tech development, so the offering and trading functions that you know seem to be so mysterious and uh, costly are actually really straightforward. Uh, Toronto is taking the lead on that. And then our, our whole point is local mobilization. We've built a pipeline of about 10 firms that we think are ready uh, to consider listing, and then we've, we've built a network of investors who are willing to look at those. And that's what you want to build in your local community. This is the third thing. Uh, you want to know who these brands are, uh, who the people are, and whether they're interested in this, because not every business is going to want to solicit uh, investment from the wider world. Many, many small businesses want to stay small. And if they want to grow, they want to do it on their own terms without any sort of investor participation. Now, I think there are quite a few others who would like more choices, and those are the ones you want to identify early. They should be brands that people know and love and um, people who are you know, uh, credible in terms of their vision and expansion plans. So um, identifying them, beginning to talk to them informally, uh, asking them to articulate their vision, and you know, seeing whether they'd be willing to do so to investors is an important step in the mobilization. Um, and then the flip side of that is, of course, talk to those with money. <laughs> in the community, like the Community Foundation is a great example. Say, you know, if this system were set up in such a way that you could um, invest in a local firm, um, what sorts of things would you need to see in place in order for that to work for you? And um, that'll give guidance as to, uh, you know, whether this, this type of system will work in your local community. And I would say, you know, we searched uh, for the right size for this. Our thought was that we needed eight to ten counties. Um, no, all of northern New England might be the appropriate region for a northern New England exchange, um, whereas the city of Miami could probably support an exchange just within its own city boundaries. And so the scale of this operation you know, varies quite a bit depending on population and the number of eligible businesses um, that are on the ground. So uh, you know, think, think very flexibly about uh, how big the area is or needs to be in order to create that critical mass of local firms uh, seeking investment from their communities. So those three things um, is what I would close with. Thank you for asking that. That's a good question. Uh, 
Bonnie. Thank you very much, Trex, and thank you very much, Susan. Um, we have come to the end of our time today, um, so I'd just like to wrap up by saying thank you to everyone that participated on behalf of the Orton Family Foundation and the Community Matters Initiative. Um, we have these calls very regularly, so check back online at communitymatters.org for the next set of calls. And um, everybody, thank you very much for your comments and questions, and everyone that's been collecting and writing the notes down. This uh, recording will be available as a podcast uh, shortly, and you'll be able to share that with anybody that wasn't able to join us today. Uh, and we will also make the notes from the call available so that you'll be able to refer back and get access to any of the links that were added. So with that, uh, thank you very much, everybody, and have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.